Hi, you guys. Welcome back to One Drink In. It's Nilu here, and I am doing our first ever solo episode. Well, kind of. I'm going to add in a few recorded parts with some of my friends to just help me tell this story, help me with the episode. I'm going to be telling you guys my story, my journey, specifically from the last almost four years now since I had my accident. It's a story I've never really fully told to anyone, and this is definitely a journey that I'm still on. I'm still healing. I'm still working on that trauma I've dealt with, but I feel like I'm finally at a place where I'm ready to open up and share what that experience was like for me. It's definitely something that really shaped the person I am now and completely changed my perspective on everything. I'm excited to finally share it with you guys. And also, thank you, Chloe. I really appreciate you letting me use our platform to share my story. So this episode is going to be a lot different from what our other episodes have been. It's going to be longer, and I hope that you guys also enjoy it. Yeah, that's what I said. I know I've mentioned my accident before, but I've never really gone into what happened or what that experience was like for me. But to give you guys a little bit of background on what my life was like before, I'm going to take you guys back about four years. I was 23 years old. I was living in Columbus, Ohio. I went to Ohio State. I had graduated the year before. At this point, I had just started a new job at a company I loved. I had been there maybe five months. I just moved into a new apartment with my friend. We lived downtown. And I had just gotten a new puppy, Penelope, my little bulldog. She was about four or five months at this point. And I had just started talking to a new guy that I really liked. So everything in my life felt like things were going well. Everything was aligning how I wanted it to. And then one morning, I was getting ready for work. I lived about a 10-minute walk from my office downtown Columbus. And... I was getting ready and I was going in early that day. I remember it wasn't my normal time that I would go in at because that evening I was going to go to this charity event at Abercrombie's headquarters and I was going to leave work a little earlier so I could make it to the event on time. And just to give you guys an idea of my apartment situation, like I said, so I lived really close to my office conveniently. They had a shuttle service that was right outside my apartment building. We had a second parking garage for employees, and it just happened to be the one that my apartment was next to. And then our company had a shuttle service that would take employees from that garage to the office. But it was also only a 10-minute walk, so if you couldn't get on the shuttle, you could always walk. And then my apartment was right there, so it was just very convenient. That morning, normally I would walk to work. But every now and then I would take our shuttle if I needed to or if I was running late. That morning I was running a couple minutes late. So I was like, you know what? No worries. I will take the shuttle to the office and I'll be fine. And so I start heading out of my apartment. I start walking towards where the shuttle comes to pick people up. As I'm like walking up to it, I just see it kind of like pull up and then drive away. So I had just missed it. And I'm like, fuck, I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to have to walk. Fuck, whatever. So I start to walk and I'm right outside my apartment building at this point. If you guys are familiar with downtown Columbus, I lived on the corner of Rich and High, which also that's ironic that that was the street corners, but Rich and High. So I get the walk sign. I cross over Rich Street. I'm on the next corner. I'm waiting to cross over high streets. I remember I was like, fuck, I'm so late. I'm watching the countdown go down for the walk sign. As soon as it says walk, I start to take a few steps to cross over high street and I just feel something hit my right side. And the next thing I know, I am underneath a CODA bus being dragged underneath it. And this is something I get flashbacks of is being underneath that bus. In that moment, everything was moving so fast, but at the same time, it felt slow motion. It was the weirdest experience I've ever had, obviously. And the only way I can really describe that feeling is like if you've ever been caught in a wave and you're being tossed and turned and you have no idea which way is up, you have no way out, and you are barely catching your breath and you're just like waiting for it to be done. And I remember thinking, holy fuck, I'm underneath a bus. I'm going to die. And I thought like even if I make it out underneath this bus, the next car that comes through is going to hit me. So in that moment, I was like, this is it. This is it. I'm going to die. And then the bus stopped. And I just remember being so terrified that it was going to start moving again and that no one knew I was underneath there. And so I just started screaming at the top of my lungs for help. And I remember I was face down and I was trying to use my forearms to kind of scoot myself towards the edge of the bus. So I'm like screaming for help. And I hear people outside the bus who are like, are you okay? Are you okay? We call 911. Help is on the way. All that. And so I kind of just lay there. And I don't know if it was like the camp counselor lifeguard training in me that started to just be like, okay, don't move. You need to stay completely still. 
focus on breathing. Don't pass out. Can you wiggle your toes? What can you feel? And I just started to go through my body from the toes up. And as I was making my way up, as soon as I got to like my pelvis, lower back area, I was like, fuck, something's not right. And then the people outside the bus were talking to me. They were trying to keep me calm. There was three specific people outside the bus that I remember. There was one lady who was very calm and just talking me through it, talking to me, just keeping me like sane. And then there was one lady who was just like screaming like, she's going to get paid. She's going to get paid. Like, I'm like, what the fuck? And then there was a third lady who was just praying and reciting, I don't know, Bible phrases. And I was just like, what the fuck? is going on. And I think part of me was in a little bit of shock, but I was like, I don't have time for this. What is going on? I can't, I'm not, this isn't real. I can't be underneath a bus. I didn't just get hit by a bus. And then I remember I felt like I laid there forever. It took forever for the paramedics to get there. At one point I'm like, is there blood? And she's like, there's no blood. And then I was talking to whoever was out there. I never really saw who they were, but I remember being like, okay, can you find my phone? I need you to call my roommate and tell her what happened. Here's her name. Here's the passcode. Then finally the paramedics get there. And at this point, I'm still, I'm not like, I'm not crying. I'm still in shock. The pain hasn't fully hit me yet. It's kind of like, just stay calm, breathe. Then once the paramedics got there, so I was face down underneath the bus and they had to grab me by my arms to pull me out from underneath the bus. And I remember that was probably one of the most painful things was when they pulled me out. And then they had to flip me over onto the stretcher. And at that point, I realized there was like something seriously wrong because as soon as they had flipped me over, I was in the most pain of my life. I was screaming. I was like begging for pain meds. I was freaking out. I just kept asking, am I going to die? Am I going to die? So we get in the ambulance. They start to cut off all my clothes. They start to get IVs in me. I'm in a shit ton of pain. And so we get to the hospital And then eventually they start giving me pain meds. And then this is the part that I don't really fully remember. I just remember being on my back in a room and I could not move. I couldn't do anything. I was just looking up at the ceiling and I could just move my eyes. And it was like in and out, doctors, testing. I had no idea what was going on. So this is the part that I am going to bring in. Some of my good friends who were there for me the day of the accident, who lived with me in Columbus, because those are the kind of key parts I don't really remember. Okay, I have three of my closest friends with me who were there with me for the accident. We have Heather, we have Dylan, and we have Sarah. Thank you guys and welcome to One Drink. Cheers to you guys. Cheers, guys. Love you guys. Cheers, love you. Okay, so the reason I wanted to bring you guys on was because the day of my accident, there was parts of it that I don't fully remember, the hospital and just being medicated and everything. So I wanted to hear from your guys' perspective and you guys were key people who had been there throughout a lot of it. So I want to ask you guys some questions and help me remember that day. So Katie was the first person to find out and she got a call from someone who was with me at the scene of the accident. And then who did she call first? She called me and was like, have you heard from Nilo? And I said, yes, I've been talking to her all day because we were going to the hot charity event at my work. So we were talking about what we were going to wear. And I was like, but I haven't heard from her in like 20 minutes. And so then she said, well, I just got a call from someone and she said that she, that she got hit by a bus and she's going to the hospital and I don't know what to think. Is this real? And you know, Katie, you're freaking out. <laughs> she got hit by a bus, like a quota bus, a city bus, what's going on? So then I'm freaking out, borderline crying. And we're like, all right, let's, who have you talked to? Have you called Sarah? Have you called her family? Like what's going on? And we said, we'll call the different hospitals. And I said, you call whoever, I'll call Riverside thinking that's where they would take you. And so we hung up, called the hospital. They called Riverside. They said, no, we don't have anyone by that name. So we're like, it takes time to get to the hospital. So maybe she's just not there, not there yet. And then Katie finds out you're at Grant, which makes sense since that's the number one trauma center. So we're like, all right, you're at Grant Hospital. I guess we'll just meet there. I call my mom and because I didn't drive to work since you and I were going to that event so we were just gonna uber drink and uber home and so I called my mom she's like in a Pilates class and I'm like you have to come (laughs) get me (laughs) Milu is hit by a bus she's like what in the world and so she comes and gets me and then we all were at the hospital and Sarah met us there 
Katie. It was me, Sarah, Katie, my mom. Was at home and it was when you lived two doors down. Yeah. And I honestly think you, Katie, and I had had a wine night the night before. And we had moved our couch in, I think. Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like we just got in our couch. And I remember, so I was late for work. I was actually sitting like on the couch, finishing up breakfast. And I got a call from Katie, which is weird because, you know, Katie doesn't like being on the phone. So I answered it and Katie's like, Milo got hit by a bus. It sounds bad now, but my initial reaction was like, I started laughing because I thought you were hungover. And I was like, oh yeah, like I feel like shit. And then Katie started, you know, like freaking out. And she was like, no, 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 you need to come to Grant right now. This is not good. And then as I heard that, I heard all the ambulances and stuff. Cause it was like literally right outside of, of our park. Yeah, yeah. So I got a ride to Grant, got dropped off. And then that's when Dylan and her mom were, your mom was there, right? Dylan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Aww. Katie was just arriving and then Jillian. And then I just remember the social workers would not tell us anything at first. So what were they telling you guys? They were saying, we can't release any information. Was it because, because you guys we weren't immediately famous? Okay. Yeah. And then I don't know if Dylan's mom said something or someone got frustrated and was like, her family's not going to be here for a while. We need to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Heather, you were in, were you in DC at the time? So I was in DC. I was actually on a work trip. I was in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I remember it was kind of early in the morning, wasn't it? Yeah. I was going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd had the worst work night before. I was so tired. We were leaving and I was like on the way back to DC in the car with like a bunch of people that I worked with and Dylan calls me and I'm like this is so weird Dylan never calls me if she does we talk about it beforehand so I pick up and she is like Heather I don't know what is going on something happened with Nilu. it's bad and I was like what do you mean it's bad what do you mean she's like we don't know the full details she got hit by a bus like at this point I didn't know if you were alive or not I didn't know if you yeah. were, would ever walk again and I was like okay keep me updated I'm literally walking into the car with these people and the entire way back it's like a two-hour drive I was just sitting there and I was like I cannot hide my emotion I am just like sunglasses on trying not to talk to anybody trying not to look at my phone because I thought I was gonna get the news in like 20 minutes that you were dead I think I maybe lasted like 15 minutes I just burst into tears in the car and everyone's like oh my god are you okay and I was like no my friend this happened like it was like everybody's life flashed in the blink of an eye it was I know. insane and then you're sitting there waiting by the phone for updates and you can't focus on anything else you want to hear what's going on but you're like terrified to hear what's going on I mean it's a crazy out-of-body experience at what point were you guys like able to talk to me? Because I vaguely remember once I got to the hospital, I know they were doing testing and stuff on me. And then I feel like they were sending you guys in one at a time or something. I feel like we were there for quite some time. I feel like we had been there for at least an hour or so before like we heard like they would not tell us if you were alive, where you were, what condition you were in, mm-hmm. literally nothing. And then one of the social workers that she finally came out and she was like, I need two people who can say semi-composed. I remember that. And then Katie and I went back into, it was like this really, really small room. And the lady pulled aside before and she was like, I need you guys to pull it together. Mm-hmm. And they were like, it was right before you went in for x-rays. And they were like, you guys need to pull it together. We want you to, her to see familiar faces to stay strong throughout the rest of the process. It's going to be really painful. And at that point I was like, okay, she's alive. And I remember Katie kind of panicked in that moment. And I was like, it's fine. She's fine. And you're already a small person. Nilo, we walk in, really small room. There was probably 10 doctors surrounding you. And they had you covered up to your neck. So they couldn't see your body, but like not to, like you looked smushed. And, and you really did. Like, cause you're small, but like you did. Like, we can laugh about it now. Yeah, we can laugh about it. So like, Girlfriend got hit by a bus. I wasn't. And like, cause you're already such a small person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really looked like smushed. And it took all my might not to flip the fuck out. Katie turned around and walked right out of the room because they said we couldn't show emotion. She turned around and I'll never forget. You looked at me and you were in a neck brace and you were like, am I going to die? And I said, no. And then you were like, am I going to walk again? And I had to look at you and I was like, I have no idea. And the lady shoveled me and Katie out. And I had a panic attack at that point. Like the, the social worker like bent me and Katie over and was rubbing our back. That to me was the, the most traumatic part of the whole day was seeing you like that. Like I couldn't tell you if you were gonna walk again. I had no, no idea. 
I vaguely remember you guys coming in, but I feel like I didn't fully know what was going on at all. But I remember thinking, am I going to be paralyzed? Am I going to walk again? Yeah, that was by far in my mind, the worst, like, obviously I saw you afterwards in the hospital at your recovery, but that moment of seeing you in that state, in that little ass room with a million doctors covered up to your neck and then in a neck brace. And you were just looking straight. You couldn't even like look at me. It was the saddest, most upsetting thing I've ever seen. I honestly never even really knew that. I feel like I remember being like, not to tell my parent. I don't know if it was to the lady by the bus when I was giving her like how to get into my phone and stuff. But I was like terrified for my parents to know. But what did you guys say when you guys called them? Katie was the one who talked to them. I didn't talk to your parents until you were in surgery. Katie and I Mm -hmm. were at Grant waiting for your parents to get there. And then your parents got there super late because it was, was it with your uncle from Chicago? Mm-hmm. And so then we stayed with them until I think like one in the morning, I want to say. Yeah, time. I think that immediately they said right after the x-rays me, you went directly into an eight hour surgery before her parents even arrived. So it, you oh, went to ICU God. first because me, Katie, Jill, and Will went back to ICU with you because they finally understood that you don't have family there. Like right, your, yeah. your people there. So they let us back into ICU and we sat with you. And then we were there to understand like what they were doing to you so that we could tell your parents. So the doctors explained what all they were going to do. And then I remember when we were standing back there. So pre before we went back into ICU to see you, There were a few doctors that came and talked to Katie and I, and then a nurse sat down and was like, you know, that she might be paralyzed for the rest of her life. Right. And I was like sobbing and I was like, no one said that. We just said like, can she walk again? We'll be be fine. And they were just kind of like, she's really healthy. She takes care of herself. We'll take that. We'll figure that out. And then we went back into ICU and then when we were back there, it was the four of us. I was crying a lot and you weren't, and you were like, don't cry. I'm okay. So you were just in your little neck brace and your eyes would just move when you would kind of like hear us talking and we're like, you look great. It's okay. It'll be fine. <laughs> and I remember you just saying, will I be able to walk again? I can't feel my legs. Will I be able to walk again? And I was just like, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. They're going to fix you. Yeah. You're in the best. I just remember I kept saying you're in the best place you can be. You have the best doctors and your doctors were incredible. Yeah, they were. They took such good care of you. And then I remember you really weren't crying until the doctors came in. There were like eight of them, I think. And they were going through what they were going to do. And like every, they went through everything that was broken and everything that needed repaired. And all of a sudden you just, it was just tears. You weren't making any sound. It was just tears. And we're like, are you okay? Like, does something hurt? Are you okay? And you just said, I'm just really scared. I do remember when I was about to go into surgery, being terrified. I think, did I like call my parents right before we went into surgery? And I said, like, I love you and stuff to them. Yeah. I think that, yeah. I like remember that and feeling like, oh my God, I don't have any idea what's going to happen. At what point did you guys realize, okay, she'll be like, okay. I think that they, I remember Dylan calling me being like, after the x-rays, they said you'd broken your back in like four places, like away from being paralyzed in four different spots. And they knew that they were, you were going to be able to do it, but it was going to be a very long road. That's what yeah. I remember being like, okay, she's going to be able to walk, but this is going to suck for her for a yeah. while. It was after your first major surgery when we realized, okay, we can breathe. It'll be fine. When you went into, after you went into ICU and they took you back, Katie and I left and we changed and then we're waiting. There's like a little room where family and friends, I guess, can wait for people who are getting surgery. And so we were waiting. It was obviously really long. Your parents got there and then they were so good about it. They came out every hour or so to give updates. And then your surgeon walked through when your parents got there, pulled up your x-rays and walked through exactly what they were doing, what they were repairing. Like your body was just in millions of pieces. Yes, crazy. But I feel like it was after your first surgery when it went well and it was successful that we were like, okay. How are my parents? when they were there. Your dad was very strong. I just can't imagine. I remember talking to Katie about this, that drive from Chicago to Columbus, what they must have been, what they must have felt. I don't know how they kept it together. I was very surprised. Your mom was obviously crying, but not Aww. any, like not insane. You know what I mean? What you would expect, yeah. They but... were really good. They were 
And they were like, we need to be strong for Nilu. And they were like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. She's strong. She's a fighter. I feel like they probably would enter fighter flight mode where they knew, yeah. okay, like we got to just get through this. I remember Dylan called me after the first surgery and she said, I'll never forget this. She said that the surgeon described your spine as being pancaked. And I was like, okay, I'm like, at this point, I think we didn't really 100% know if you were like legitimately going to be able to walk again. Mm-hmm. And I, after Dylan told me that, I just fucking lost it. I'm like, oh my God, our friend is never going to use her legs again. Yeah. And I feel like it was kind of a gradual, like what Sarah said, they were like, okay, this went okay, but it took a while to get that news that you were going to be able to use your legs and walk again. Mm-hmm. So that was like a huge sigh of relief, just like everything leading up to it. And then finally we got the the call that it was going to be okay. But yeah. yeah, that was the worst few days ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I remember we put together that whole care package. I remember I hadn't seen you since in that little room to then. And I remember telling Dylan, cause Dylan picked me up on our way there and I was petrified walking into the ICU. The way that like you looked in that room was so, you never want to see a friend mm-hmm. looking like that. I remember being so scared to walk in and see what you looked like. And I remember the first thing you were like, I really, you're like, you guys, I'm so afraid my hair is going to turn into a rat's nest. Can someone please braid my hair? Oh, I French. Wait, that's so cute. You were like, I'm so afraid they're going to have to cut all my hair off. So I was like, I got you. I remember we'd brought like face wipes and like deodorant. Oh wipes. my God. Dylan was like giving you face wipes and I was like fully French braiding like hair. That is so cute. Oh, I love that. I mean, it's so crazy. I don't know. I just never really knew what that actual day was like. I obviously remembered it so differently and barely remembered it. So it's really interesting to hear from your guys' side. And I feel like we haven't talked about it in so long. No, that was the worst day ever. I also (laughs) never really actually talked about it. No, I don't Mm. think I've ever heard you guys like tell me this. I remember for how out of it you were. You, when we first saw you in ICU, you go, do you think I can still go to the charity event? And I was like, you're like, we can still make it, right? And I was like, no, oh, we can't. And you were like, oh no, I'm so sorry. Like, I really wanted to go. I'm like, next year, knee. We're not going. I like remember being delusional for thinking maybe we could still go. I don't know if I was just in shock or what, but I truly thought like we were still going to make it to the I event. thought you'd walk right out of there. I was on lots of drugs. So I feel like I was like having the best time without Wait. realizing, but okay. You guys, thank you so much for telling me the story. It's so crazy hearing it for the first time. It seriously means so much to me. Of course, we love you. Okay. So I obviously had a really good support system. Also my roommate, Katie, she wasn't able to be on the call with us, but she was an angel during all of that and was really there for me. And I'm forever grateful for her. I feel so grateful for the support system I had in the hospital when I was there. I had so many people send, you know, cards and flowers and everything. And all of that made being in the hospital so much easier. It's such a hard place to be, especially for an extended time. So I'm forever grateful for everyone who ever reached out, sent me anything. I kept every single card. It, it truly meant the world to me. So, okay, obviously that was kind of the first few days in the hospital. So pretty much to go over the injuries that I had. So I'd fractured my back in four spots. I had two burst in my spine. I'm probably going to mess up the actual medical terminology and all that shit. So I don't, don't come at me, but, um, very, very close to hitting my spinal cord. And so I was really, really lucky that I didn't get paralyzed and that I was able to get that spinal fusion without complications. And then my pelvis was completely fractured open. And if you ever look at x-rays, it's just completely fucked up. I don't even have I don't know the medical way of saying it. I think they described it as like an open book fracture for my pelvis. I remember the surgeon I had, he's amazing. I got really lucky that he was on call that day, but I remember he said to me, he was like, when I saw your x-rays, I wish I was not on call that day and I've never seen anything like this. And so I was like, oh, that's good to know. So my pelvis was pretty much completely shattered, my back, and then I had a collapsed lung, my ribs were fractured, and then I had internal bleeding in my pelvis too. So I think those were the biggest things. And I think... So one thing I will say is I never lost consciousness during the accident. So I remembered the entire thing. I didn't have any serious head or brain injuries, which thank God, but also it's really traumatic to remember all of that. So that's something I definitely struggle with 
to this day with PTSD and flashbacks and all of that. I've obviously gone through therapy for a while. I tried medications, but it's just something I'm going to have to continue to work on for the rest of my life until I get to a place where that's not an obsessive thought for me anymore. This accident is something that I think about every single day, multiple times a day, which is really hard. And it's something I'm still processing and trying to figure out how to manage. One thing that's definitely helped me is just practicing gratitude and reminding myself every day of how lucky I am for the second chance at life. So that was kind of like all my injuries. So I was in ICU for a few days and then they were able to finally move me to a trauma unit. And because of my injuries, I pretty much had to stay in bed, unable to move. I really couldn't move anything besides my arms and that was still kind of hard. I was very, very weak. And at this point, I didn't know how long I was going to be in this state. I was just like, okay, well, go. you take it day by day. There was no timeline of like, okay, in a week, you're going to be out. They had to see day by day how I was progressing and then kind of take it from there. So for the first two weeks there, I was just in bed, laying, did not do, I could not do anything. I could not get out of bed. I couldn't roll myself over on my own. If I wanted to do anything, I needed to have the nurses come help me. If I needed to be adjusted, I needed someone to help me. I couldn't really do anything. In that time, you are really in your head and you start to reflect and just think about your life in the past and what the person you were and then who you want to be in the future. And then you kind of think about things that you might have regretted and things that you want to change. But in this moment, I'm also thinking, I don't know what my future is going to look like. I don't know when I'm going to be able to walk again or how I'm going to walk and if I'm going to be able to move the way I used to move. There was no really defined answer at this point. And so it's very scary and you go through a lot of emotions. And also during this time, I'm in a lot of pain and I have pain medications and all of that, but it's just it was never really enough. I always was uncomfortable. I was always in pain. I had really bad nerve pain in my right leg, like this shooting pain that it was just horrible. And you're just uncomfortable. You can't move. You can't do anything. You're just trapped. And there was definitely days where I was losing my mind and I was freaking out. And that's when I kind of started getting into meditation. I would have this lady come in who it was called Healing Hands and she would do almost like a Reiki and this like energy healing type thing. And I remember it being very calming. And that's really when I started to get into all of that like woo-woo shit because I felt like that had made such a difference for me in the pain. I finally could feel relaxed in those moments. The other thing I struggled with mentally was I was so, so grateful to be alive. I felt so lucky, but I was also still really sad and depressed that all of a sudden my life had changed. And I was also really angry for a little bit because someone else had done this to me. So what happened with the bus driver was I had the walk sign. She had the green light, but she was making a left turn. So she did not see me and just hit me. And for me, I was angry. I was like, you're a fucking bus driver. Your only job is to pay attention to the road and drive safely. So what the fuck are you doing? And then, I mean, that took a while for me to kind of let go of that anger and whatever. Honestly, I was angry at Coda and being like, fuck Coda for hiring these who don't know how to fucking drive. Like angry, like bitter, pissed that someone else's inability to do their job left me in the hospital now having to do all this. I felt very angry and I was sad and I was depressed and I was in pain. But at the same time, I was obviously grateful. And it was like this like battle of am I being ungrateful for being angry and sad? And so that was like a whole therapy thing of like, it's okay to be upset and mad and struggling. You can still be grateful even if you are upset with the situation. It's hard to stay angry when you are practicing gratitude. So that's helped me. So when you're in the hospital and you're just stuck in your mind, it's very sad. It's very isolating. You feel very hopeless. But I will say I had such an amazing support system. I had people come visit me every day. I had so many flowers. It was just like people made it fun for me. I am so appreciative and grateful for those people. I had two of my best friends, Blair and Michelle from high school, who flew in and stayed with me and like had a sleepover in my hospital room and they had like wine night with my sister and it was just really, really sweet and cute that people would do all this. And I remember feeling so loved in that moment. And so grateful for that. Anyways, okay. So finally after two weeks, I'm progressing. I'm getting better. At this point, I still have not moved out of the bed. So I would have different therapists come work with me, you know, all sorts. 
But specifically, I would have physical and occupational therapy come because in order for me to leave the hospital, I had to be able to sit in a wheelchair. And at this point, I still hadn't been out of the bed. I still couldn't really sit up. So every day they would kind of work with me and try and get me to sit up. And I just remember even trying to sit on the side of the bed the first time. I was so out of breath. I could barely do it. I had no energy. I remember as soon as I would sit up, I'd be like, I just want to lay back down. And then eventually we worked up to a point where, you know, they would help me into a wheelchair. And I remember the first time I sat in a wheelchair and I just sat there for like a few minutes and I was just like, this is so painful. I need to get back on the bed. I need to just lay down. I can't do this. And that was like the one thing that really stood out to me in that hospital was the pain. I was in the most pain I had ever been in to the point where I remember, and I hate even admitting this, and I hate that I had these thoughts, but there were moments where I was in so much pain and I was so sad that I remember thinking, I wish that I didn't live, that I didn't make it. I wish that I had died under that bus because this is horrible. And I was like, I can't live like, I was like, when is this going to end? When is it going to get better? Obviously, looking back, so grateful to be alive. But there were moments where, like, it was just so painful that you were like, I want to be dead. Okay. Eventually, I was able to get into a wheelchair. And I remember the first time I wheeled myself. Everyone was so excited. I remember my parents taking pictures, like, being so happy and so excited. And the nurses, everyone was like, this is such great progress. And I remember just sitting there with tears rolling down my face, like, And just being like, I should be fucking walking right now. Why are people excited that I can sit in a wheelchair? This shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't be my life right now. And I would have tears rolling down my face because I was so sad. And then I remember the first time they wheeled me outside. But I couldn't really, it would be very short periods of time. I couldn't stay out of bed for very long. And so they were like, okay, we'll take you outside for a little bit. You can get some fresh air finally. And I just remember the minute we got outside, I start bawling my eyes out. And I'm like, I want to go inside. I want to go back inside. It was like, I was terrified of being outside I was so scared and I had such anxiety I was like I don't know if I felt like something bad was gonna happen but I was like overwhelmed with this feeling of like flashbacks and being on the sidewalk and being by the streets and whatever and I was like I want to go inside I want to go inside and that was like a pivotal moment for me where I realized this was not just a physical battle this was going to be a very hard mental battle too I think for the most part from an outside perspective, most people probably saw me as very positive and optimistic, and I was being so strong. But I obviously did not feel that way all the time, and I think very few people saw that side of me. And one of the people who did see that was my ex-boyfriend, because I spent the most time with him. I was the most open with him, so he really saw that mental struggle. And so I'm going to bring him on, too, to kind of explain all of that. Welcome to One Drinkin. Thank you for doing this with me. I know it's probably not the top of your list of things, so I appreciate you doing this. Anything for you, Neela (laughs) Farr. Oh, thank you. To kind of go back a little, me and you had just started talking, really. We had known each other, but we had just started talking probably like a month or two before we weren't dating. Yeah. What, What would you have considered us at that point? Just definitely didn't have a label on it, but I, I would be curious to know what you thought of where we were at. So I, I definitely had a crush on you. I remember that morning of the accident was the day of the ANF challenge. And the only reason I was really going right. is because I wanted to see you. That's right. <laughs> because I wanted right. to, I had a crush on you. So I wanted to go see you. So no, the did... feelings were mutual for sure. I, I Thank think you. at that point, like we... Like, I clearly cared about you. You cared about me, but we hadn't had that conversation. No. Right. But I would say it was definitely getting very close to that point when the events happened. So that day, how did you find out about my accident? Um, Katie texted me or I... Instagram DM'd me because I didn't even have her <laughs> number. That's how fresh <laughs> things were. I was at work. It was in the morning, probably like mid-morning, and... Obviously, you get hit with something like that of someone that you're close with care about. And at that point was the scariest for sure, because there was no information really about where you were at, what the actual situation was, like the only information I was getting was through Katie's DMs. And she was like, I'm going to the hospital, but I don't know what's going on. And I don't think she could even really see you at that point. So she had limited information too, but it was pretty clear from her messaging. She was like, this is really bad. So obviously it was 
a little bit hard to work that day. And I remember just not being able to focus on anything and constantly checking my DMs and trying to figure out what was going on and feeling very helpless, but at the same time, you know, wanting to do whatever I could to help. So I think I, as soon as you were in a more stable state, I, I came, visited you. What was it like when you got there? We got to talk to you. You were on like hella pain meds <laughs> a lot. So your spirits were very good. I remember you funny enough, but you're being your very sexual free <laughs> self, but to like a nth degree. Yeah. Pr pretty good spirits all in all, I would say, but yeah, you're definitely on like mad pain meds, but probably happy about that. Cause it sounded like up until that point, you're in serious distress and going through yeah. all these scans and they were just trying to like stabilize you. Like you're in a very, very tricky, dangerous state. So it's not like, yeah, I don't know. I think it was just very uncomfortable and a lot of moving around. That was the first point in time where you're like finally in one room in a bed. So, you know, your freak self came out. <laughs> oh, thank God for that. Good thing. So after the surgery, I'm stable at this point. They just know that I'm going to have like a long recovery. I feel like, did we have a conversation when I was still at Grant about like, not what we were, but what we were going to do or anything like that? Did we ever talk about that? I don't know if it happened at Grant. I vaguely remember kind of giving you like, a, not an out. I feel like I was understanding if you wanted to walk away from the situation. Yeah. 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 No, it, it definitely seemed like you were like I wasn't yeah I wasn't expecting yeah. you to really like stick around because we weren't dating no. at that point yeah at what point were you like hmm I'm gonna stick around for this shit with this girl because I don't <laughs> um, think most you were what 24 at the time I don't know many 24 year old guys who would be willing to take that on and yeah. really change their entire life for yeah I can't say there was like a pivotal moment where I was like like I need to be with her or whatever. But to start, I was like, because I called my mom after the accident. And I was freaking out. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to approach this and explain mm -hmm. the whole thing of how we didn't necessarily have an established relationship. At least we ha didn't have that conversation about it. So I was like, I'm not sure what to do. She yeah. was just like, Neela's your friend, right? You care about her. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And she's like, just oh. be there for her as a friend, first and foremost. So that's what I tried to do and just be there for you and spend as much time with you as I could. And doing that and just spending time with you, I think I really realized like, yes, there was definitely feelings there. Absolutely. From both of us. And I just felt like based on what we had before all of that, there could be an amazing relationship. And I didn't want to just throw that out the window because of this whole accident. And I was very, very impressed with how, just how strong you were and how resilient you were. It was, it was awesome. Aww. It was really awesome. You're going to make me cry. I know. Yeah. Cause you also didn't know, like going into it, no one really knew when I would be out of the wheelchair. You didn't know when I'd be like back to what somewhat normal or even really out of the hospital. And I think we started dating yeah. when I was still in at least the rehab hospital, I think is when we like really started dating, yeah. which is yeah, kind of yeah. crazy. No, definitely. It is crazy. It is pretty crazy to think about it that way. Cause yeah, that's for sure. When we first had like an actual serious conversation of like what's going to happen here. And yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild that that's how it started. But I mean, for sure, the number one reason of why I was like, I have to stick this out is seeing how strong you were and how positive and, and your approach to, to just rehabbing and getting better and wanting to improve was really attractive, to be honest. <laughs> and you definitely Aww. carry those characteristics of being a strong, resilient woman. And it really was. I was like, wow, look at all the fight Neela's going through. I can't Aww. just give up on her now especially with everything we had before this I really need to I really need to stick this one out that's very sweet of you thank you were you ever like hesitant to not to say because I was going to be in a wheelchair and we didn't know what it would look like when I got out of the wheelchair but were you ever like is this something I really want to get involved with I mean definitely yeah. I had like doubts second thoughts <laughs> It especially wasn't easy when you were just in the hospital and I still wanted to be social and hang out yeah. with my friends and kind of just the reminder of what more of a normal life was, was definitely like made it difficult to go back and, you know, be there with you and go through all those hard times. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely doubts, but like I said, I'm not the type of person that's like, once I commit to doing something, I'm just going to give up. So yeah, uh, I feel like I had to see it out and especially with all the progress you're making it's not like 
at any point I felt like oh my god like Nilo's never gonna get better you were progressing like crazy and being such a badass that it it made it easy and that I knew there was a clear light at the end of the tunnel in terms of you getting back to a more normal place yeah I definitely think it takes a special person for the way that you were so willing to be supportive of me and change your life and drop everything, make it work. So I will always be appreciative of that because you really did something I don't think a lot of people would do. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that very much. Um, I think if there's like, I would say probably from the day the accident happened to even just like those first couple months, I feel like it was a little hazy for me just because I was on so many medications, but there's parts of it that I don't fully remember. Yeah, definitely. Once you're like out of the rehabilitation hospital, yeah. going back to being in your apartment and stuff, obviously there was still a lot of physical things that you were dealing with and trying to overcome. But there was, yeah. I mean, I think that's when really like the mental side of things really started to kick in. And I just felt you paying a lot more attention and focusing on just trying to keep a good state of mind, keep positive, and was clearly very tough and a struggle. I could tell that yeah. you were you know, you had your special playlist. You were putting a lot of effort <laughs> into it. And I could, I listened to those Pretty Little Lies songs for- <laughs> Oh my God, uh, I forgot. I did make you listen to, I listened to everything on non-stop. repeat. <laughs> non-stop yeah. of those songs, but they helped you. So that's good. <laughs> but that was really interesting to see that transition, I guess, of, you know, a clear shift from, oh my God, there's so much physical pain and just mobility things I'm trying to overcome. So then like, okay, I'm starting to be a little bit back to my life, but maybe walk a little bit. I don't have to do the wheelchair as much, but then it was like the mental battle and just being in an apartment. But I mean, your mom was there, but which is right. godsend, but you're, you're still just kind of cooped up with your mom in an apartment, <laughs> not being able to do much. That alone, no matter what your physical state is such a mental battle. So I definitely found that you were really focused on overcoming that I mean you definitely smoked a lot of weed which I think <laughs> helped you for sure I think that was a good thing you also I think became obsessed with your phone and social media so which it kind of started which I mean it makes sense it was like at that point your only social connection really to the world was was that that was it so it makes sense and it's all those things are built to be addictive so it's, it's easy to <laughs> It's easy to rely on that for your dopamine and positive emotions. But yeah, in general, I would say you did like a really good job of being in good spirits, trying to be positive, trying to be happy. But I could tell that it was like an absolute battle and it was something that was causing a lot of turmoil for you, you know, on the inside. It's interesting that you say that because I don't think anyone else knew. Like, I don't even know that you really saw that. Because yeah. I, I, I mean, we hung like, out a lot. Yeah, that's true. But like, I obviously felt those things and I knew that I was going through those things, but I don't think I knew if other people, you probably yeah. knew I was probably m- more open with you about it, but I don't think a yeah. lot of other people were realizing that as much. It would probably be hard for your friends to notice necessarily because they were seeing you and they were still doing a great job of yeah. visiting, being a support system, but you're still not spending every day with that person. So you don't see them, you know, through yeah. all of their moments. And like I said, you were really good at, you know, doing everything you could to pe- stay positive and, and, you know, optimistic about everything. So I'm sure that's very much the way you were coming across when you were with them. But I mean, we probably hung out. Your mom cooked me dinner at least four <laughs> times a week. <laughs> Sarah literally said the same thing. I know. That's true to my life. Well, mm. interesting. I but mean, I don't know. I think it was yeah. probably just easier to notice being that close to you, spending that much time. Yeah. Together. Well, I'm sure I've said it before, but I always want you to know how thankful and grateful I am for you for during that time. It definitely wasn't easy, but there was plenty of very good moments as well for sure. And yeah, it, it's, I, I really feel for you. And I just being there, I can't imagine how tough that is. The biggest thing I realized is like, really, the physical part is such a big part of the battle in the beginning. But the mental side from me observing you is just so much more of a battle and such a more difficult thing to overcome. Like yeah, you did a sure. great job overcoming the physical. And I guess the physical is a little bit more apparent and easy to observe as to how to be proactive about you know healing yourself versus the mental side of things is is 
really, I can't even imagine how tricky to tackle and to understand. And it's not super apparent and out there. And it's just, yeah, I, I really feel for you in that capacity. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, I know, I know it's caused you a lot of, a lot of heartache and trauma. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think with that whole experience, like you said, the physical you do kind of see it get better and the mental is an invisible struggle. So not only do others not really see it, but it's also harder to really measure how much you're progressing. Yeah. Whereas physical, you kind of progress like, okay, I'm getting out of the wheelchair. I'm getting out of the walker. Right. We can deal with the pain totally. in these type of ways. Whereas the mental, it was just much more of a struggle for me to overcome for sure. Totally. It's just so much easier to measure the physical. It's like, okay, this day I move, can move my left leg. This day I can move my right leg. Okay, now I'm starting to take some steps. It's so easily measured, but the mental pain, it's just, you know, yeah. one day you're feeling horrible and then the next day you're feeling okay. And then it's just much more of a roller coaster. So I really feel for that. And I give you a lot of props <laughs> for doing things like this because I think the more you are, you know, the more you're doing to process that, you know, mental side and that trauma in, in an outward way, I think will, will really help. So a lot of kudos <laughs> for being public and talking about this because I know it's, it's not easy and it's a super personal thing. So I'm sure well, you're helping a lot of people by doing it. Thank you. And I appreciate you recognizing that. And I did not expect to cry this much. Oh my God. I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Whatever. Um, I, I yeah. totally expected it. You did? Yeah, come on. So I didn't cry with Sarah same. in them. Yeah. But that's because, yeah, Sarah, Sarah was like, she said that when she walked into the room, there was like a sheet up to like my like neck or something. And she said I looked smushed. But like, <laughs> oh, we all man. could laugh about it now. But like. I do remember now that you said that, remember the sheets and like, yeah, you were completely covered and it was like, it was scary to even get close to you necessarily because you would you could tell under the sheets you had all sorts of apparatuses and stuff kind of holding everything together and your your leg was up I remember and there was metal coming out of it no yeah it was it was like a Frankenstein situation for sure it, no it, I mean it really it was a, it was a lot and I realized right away I was like holy shit this is serious that's no, no joke. I remember okay. like even being afraid. I wanted to, you know, touch you, show support, even getting close to the bed. I was a little nervous because I didn't want to touch the wrong thing. You know? Yeah. Who knows what That's was attached crazy. to what? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I don't, Ugh. I mean, is there anything else you can think of? I feel like that's all I really was kind of curious about. No, I don't think so. I, I do just, I, I think really, you know, focusing and being open as you feel comfortable about like, you know, the mental battle in addition to the physical battle, which I know that is really hard to do, but yeah. I think that will be the most helpful to people, the most impactful and really put a lot of this into perspective for people that are maybe, you know, have a friend that went through a similar kind of situation or a loved one or anything like that, which is super important to realize how, how it's so far from just what you see on the surface. Like uh -huh. there's so much more to it. And I think in general, people need to be more, have more awareness around other people and how they're feeling and being more understanding around that. But I think especially someone that's going through a traumatic event, injury, anything like that, is just really trying to be understanding and trying to help someone going through a similar situation you did. I think that's really good. And I think you obviously did a really good job of that as a friend, as a partner and being so patient with me. And I mean, that's partly just your personality. So it, it just depends on the person, but you were always super, super patient with me and very understanding. So. Thank you. <laughs> patient. I think forgiving is a really good characteristic to have if you're dealing with anyone that, and just realize that there's a lot going on under the surface that that person is dealing with. And just because they act in a certain way doesn't, isn't a reflection on them. It's a reflection on what they're dealing with. Well, so thanks. Think thanks for understanding that for me, at least, especially. <laughs> I tried my best. <laughs> you did. Best. You did a great job. I think I'm lucky that I, I, the chill persona definitely helps with that, but I, yeah, it definitely wasn't easy all the time, but I'm <laughs> well, better for it. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyways, I appreciate you doing this. It means a lot to me.
Yeah, absolutely. Of course, okay. anytime. Okay, so that was my ex. <laughs> He's an amazing person. I'm so grateful for him. Okay, I know the story is kind of chaotic and I'm sorry it's a little bit of a shit show, but after I was out of the hospital, I got moved to an inpatient rehab hospital and I got to pick which one I wanted to go to. And I remember picking this one because it was like closest to all the bars in Short North. And I was like, oh, perfect. My friends can come visit me because at the time I'm 23 and it's football season at Ohio State. I'm watching them all have the best time ever. They're all advancing in their careers. They're traveling. They're, you know, dating and all this fun stuff. And I'm like, fuck, I'm in a hospital bed and my life is so different than everyone else. And that was like a moment where I realized like I could never compare my path to anyone else's path because truly it's all about what you experience. And I was like, no one else is experiencing this. I can't compare myself to anyone else. And that's something that I've stood by that with every aspect of my life and more importantly, including body image, because that was something I definitely struggled with. Like I loved my body before the accident. I worked out a lot and I was in great shape. I had a good body. And then, you know, you're in a hospital for a month, you're in a wheelchair for four months, your body becomes a stick. You lose all your muscle, you lose all your weight. I remember looking at myself in the mirror and not recognizing my body anymore. Like it looks so different, it looked so fucked up, but I had to come to terms with it and I was like, fuck. And then there was a point where I was like, you know what? You're stuck in this body, you need to find a way to love it. It's not gonna feel the same, it's not gonna move the same, it's not gonna look the same, but you're gonna still find a way to love it. And so, I remember just thinking, okay, well, what do you like about it? And I'm being like, I don't really give a shit what it looks like physically anymore. Like, your body just got run over by a city bus, and you should have died that day. You should have been paralyzed, but you were walking. Like, your body just went through the most crazy thing ever. And I remember being like, that's fucking amazing. Your body's amazing, what it did for you. And you're going to fucking love it, and you're going to treat it really well, and that's it. And so I just became very proud and just so grateful for what I went through that I learned to love my body based on that versus what it looked like physically. And still to this day, my body doesn't look like it did before. It never will. And it's fine. And because of that, I also don't compare myself to anyone else's body because I'm like, no one's been through that. How can I compare my body to something that someone else, like no one's been through my struggle. So of course their body's going to look different, but I still think in my head, I'm like, your body's just as amazing because of what it's been through versus what it looks like. And so that's helped me kind of overcome that struggle. And that's something I say all the time. I'm like, if you're struggling with body image, it's like, be proud of it for what it can go through and how strong you are and capable of. Love your body because of the abilities you have. I think if anyone's ever having those doubts, it's like, just be grateful for what you have and what you're able to do because there's so many people who don't have those same abilities and who would do anything to be in your body and you also never know when you're going to lose it and look back and wish that you had loved it and been more grateful for it okay so when I was in the rehab hospital there was you know regular therapy physical therapy so I could get stronger I was still non-weight bearing completely non-weight bearing so I was in the wheelchair I couldn't stand it. and then there was occupational therapy and that was really crazy for me because it was relearning very basic skills how to put your shoes on how to put your clothes on how are you going to get in and out of a car with your wheelchair because I had to learn to transfer myself from the wheelchair to the car, transfer myself from the wheelchair onto a toilet seat, onto a shower bench, and what tools am I going to use? I had every single random tool. I had these like reachers and these things to help, and I would practice that with the occupational therapist. But one thing that they would do is some group therapy, and it would be games kind of, and it was very, very weird. And like at one point, they made us play hot potato, and we're all in wheelchairs. So every time one of us dropped the potato, no one could pick it up. I was like, why are we playing this? It was so dumb. One time they made us play with those, when you were in preschool, those rainbow sheets that you would like lift up and it would like bubble and like we would all be in wheelchairs in a circle playing with this thing. I'm like, what the fuck is this place? I hated it. So I know this is going to sound harsh, but the staff there was horrible. Majority of them did not give a fuck about the patients. They had no idea what was going on. They didn't really care. And that was like one thing I also learned was being in the hospital is that the healthcare industry, like not everyone really cares about the patient. I felt like none of them really gave a shit about the patients because most of the patients didn't know what was going on. I'll be completely honest, especially my unit. It was, for some reason, they put me in traumatic brain injury unit. So like 
I don't know if they thought that I had a brain injury and I didn't know what was going on, but they would like come in and just like treat me like an object and like there was no emotion. It was just very transactional. It was weird. And so I will say it made me realize if you're in a hospital ever and you're not getting the care you need, definitely speak up or have someone speak up for you. It opened up my eyes to what the healthcare world is like and it's crazy. So definitely make sure you have people who can like speak up for you or speak up for yourself if something does not seem right. Don't be afraid to question things and, you know, listen to your body and whatnot. But anyways, okay, so at this place, they would have these like partner therapy sessions where you would go and you would do like little like obstacle courses almost in our fucking wheelchairs. It was it was the weirdest thing ever, you guys. I don't even know how to explain it. So one day they pair me up with this lady and she was in a condition that I was like I was like, holy fuck, I can never complain about anything. But anyways, I'm in I'm doing these little obstacle course with our fucking wheelchairs with this lady. And I remember being like, why would they pair me up with this lady? You can barely see her face. She can barely talk. She's like connected to all these machines. And so we were exchanging stories of what happened and she couldn't really fully, you know, she couldn't talk super well, but she put her index and middle finger and her thumb in the shape of a gun underneath her chin. And it was very obvious that she was saying that she was shot that way. And she said, I don't recognize myself in the mirror. And I was like, I can never complain again. Holy fuck. I was like, what? I was like, how is this woman even alive? And I'm like, you know, everyone has different situations. Everyone has different struggles. So someone's might seem worse, but yours is still, that doesn't discredit what you're going through or what you're dealing with. But I just remember like her story and I was like, I need to get out of this place. This is not, this place is depressing me. This is the saddest place ever. And so eventually I was able to go back to my apartment and luckily my mom had stayed with me throughout that whole time. So they obviously didn't live in Columbus. So my mom stayed with me. She took care of my dog. She took care of me. She lived with me at my apartment. She lived with me in the hospital on the couch. She was an angel and she was amazing. And so my accident happened in September, September 8th. And I was in the hospital. I was in those two hospitals until, you know, early October. And then I was out in a wheelchair in my apartment. And it was definitely a hard adjustment because you're just learning how to, you know, suddenly you're in your apartment, you're in a wheelchair. I couldn't stand at this point. I couldn't really do anything. We had gone and visited my apartment with my therapist and my physical therapist, my occupational therapist, and I did like an apartment visit where we practiced, okay, how am I going to go through here? How am I going to get in and out of bed here using the shower, toilet, all that stuff in my apartment? And it was just a whole process. And the thing about my apartment was our living room overlooked the exact cross streets that I got hit on. And so I remember the first time I got to the apartment, I just started bawling because I was like, I'm going to have to relive this moment every single day. And that was something I struggled with for a while when I lived in Columbus because, I mean, I saw code buses everywhere. I was constantly seeing them. I couldn't escape it. I was always thinking about it. And that's something I still struggle with. Once we got back to my apartment, my mom lived with me. She, you know, helped with everything. My roommate helped a ton. My friends helped a lot. And then obviously my boyfriend at the time was there for me a lot, as you guys heard. And at this point, I wasn't working. I was either on long or short-term disability and... At this point, I had in-home therapy. So I would have a physical therapist come to my apartment and we would, you know, work on, we would do little exercises, whatnot. And so that was like pretty much all I had going. I wasn't working. I just had physical therapy. And I was like, I'm going to start losing my mind here. And then I had in-home nursing. So I would have like a nurse come to the apartment. She would check on everything. I was on a lot of medications and I was on a lot of painkillers. And specifically, I remember when I would take Oxy, I knew very, very quickly that I would get addicted to it if I kept if I kept taking it and that I would become dependent on it. And I made the decision that I don't want to be dependent on these meds because I felt like they were going to control me for the rest of my life. And it was freaking me out. So at the time I was working for a healthcare company and I had a lot of awareness of the opiate crisis. So I knew, you know, this was not something I wanted to go down. And I knew that it would it would have been if I had to stay on that medication. So I remember talking to my doctor and I was like, I need to get off of this because I don't want to fall into that. And I was scared. And so I slowly got weaned off of it. And then I really, I really turned to weed at that point. I had smoked before. I mean, that's nothing new, but at this point it was like, I had my weed pen at all times. I had gummies. I really got into CBD and I needed to like get my mind right. So I 
you know, slowly got off of a lot of my medications and I started to make myself a schedule every day because I was like, I'm not working. I have nothing to do. I had no sense of purpose, really. And I was like, you need to get your mind right. All you do is wake up, take medications, a little bit of physical therapy, but you can't really leave your house. Everyone else is working during the day. You don't really see anyone besides your mom. You need to figure something out. And so that was kind of when I was like, I'm going to give myself a routine and a schedule. I was like, you have to find something to do because you are going to lose your mind at this point. You're going to be really depressed. So every morning I had my little routine. So I had my playlist that I would put on that would help me relax. And then I would have podcasts that I would listen to so that I could learn. And then I would make my smoothie. And I was really focused on improving and I was really motivated on getting better. So I was willing to really just like eat very clean, take the supplements, vitamins I needed that would help me. Working out as much as I could, doing my physical therapy moves, I would do them every day. I was very disciplined in that aspect. And so I had lost a lot of weight and I was really, really focused on gaining back the weight. And that's something I still try and do. I'm still like slowly getting back to my normal weight now. Still not there. But I remember I was like, I want to do it in a very healthy way. Don't want to just eat garbage. I want to do only things that are going to be make me feel better. I'm only going to put good things in my body. For a while, I even went through a phase where I was like, I will, I'm not going to drink again. Anything that's not good for my body, I'm not putting into my body. So I had this like morning routine. And then, you know, after I would have my smoothie, I would go down. We had an apartment gym. So I would go down to the apartment gym in my wheelchair and I would practice. I would do my PT moves and then I would come back up and then you know, that was kind of my day. I would do my self-care. I got really into facials and, you know, face masks. I just found things that made me happy. I don't know. It was just, it was really a mindset I shifted into. And I was not like this necessarily before. I think before the accident and I knew it was kind of my only option because I couldn't change the situation. I just had to do what I could with it. So yeah, I mean, just having that routine, having that schedule, it really just helped bring order to the chaos that was in my life. I needed a sense of control over something. So having that routine and having these things to focus on just helped me change my mindset and look at things differently and have this perspective on life, on taking care of yourself and wanting to better yourself. And so it just pushed me forward to really not take things for granted and to appreciate the little things in life and to just find happiness within myself in whatever situation that I was given. Throughout this time, what I learned was that life is truly just a balancing act and that things are going to get messy and things aren't always going to be perfect and things aren't always going to go your way. And it's being able to adapt and adjust to those situations. And I think that's something that's really helped me throughout my life since that accident with everything I've done now. Yeah, so that first year was really hard. A year after my original surgery and a year after my accident, I had another back surgery, got some of my hardware removed just to help with some of the movement in my back and the pain that I was having. And to fast forward to now, pain-wise, I still have back pain. I still have chronic pain every day. It's something... I'll probably deal with forever. And there are days when that's really hard, when it's very frustrating and it's a little bit of a physical reminder, a moment of my life that was really hard, of a day that was really hard. And it's something I think about a lot and I'm kind of constantly reminded of it through these little things. And so there's definitely moments where I will be, I feel every emotion still about it. I will be so happy and so grateful, almost to a point where I'm overwhelmed with gratitude, where I'll even start like tearing up because I'm just so thankful to be alive and I appreciate every moment now and there's days where I'm like in a workout class or whatever and I'm like I get teared up because I'm so thankful for where I'm at now and that I can that I can do this and it's something I didn't there was a point in my life where I thought I would never be able to do this again and so I definitely appreciate those moments a lot more now and then there's days when I still when I cry because I I'm anxious of the future and what that might look like as far as my pain and, you know, what what that's going to turn into and what I might need in the future. So that definitely brings a lot of anxiety for me. And PTSD is not easy to deal with. I'm sure a lot of people probably think, oh my God, she's doing amazing. And that was something I heard for a really long time. Like, you look so great. And I appreciated that. It obviously meant a lot to hear that. But at the same time, I, I don't always feel great. I know that I might look like I've progressed so much, and I have, but there's definitely days when it's hard. And four years later, it's still something that weighs on me. And that's something that's not, you know, talked about as much because you can't really see that, especially also with my mindset. It's like 
life is so short enjoy it embrace it have the most fun that you can do everything that you want so I really do live by that but that doesn't mean I don't have hard days some of the biggest things I could pass along from this is just you just never know what someone's been through you never know what someone's going through and the less judgment we can pass on others and the less comparison you can do on yourself the happier you're going to be and you know I I mean trauma not just physical but there's so many different forms of trauma and I really feel for anyone who is experiencing something or has experienced something it's hard it's not easy because it's not talked about it's something that you really have to work on for a long time and I really hope anyone who is dealing with that just to stay hopeful and not to give up because I remember there's so many days when I felt like I would never feel like myself again I felt like I lost myself and now I look back and I'm like well yeah I'll never be that person but I'm much better for it now and I like the person I am now much more and in the most crazy fucked up way I wouldn't change what happened there's definitely moments where I'm like yeah it'd be really fucking nice not to have a spinal fusion or have metal plates in my pelvis but I can't imagine the person I would be without that experience and I feel very grateful for the way things worked out yeah so that's you know just the start of my story and I appreciate you guys listening and I want you guys to know that my DMs are always open. You can always reach out to me. I love hearing from you. I love talking with you guys. You can find me on Instagram at Nilu Fabi. And of course, our podcast account is at onedrink.in. Thank you guys so much. I hope you guys like this episode. And I am sending you guys all so much love. Yeah, that's what I said.